Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and we praise you. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you, God, that you are all in all. You are everything. Help us to be eyes wide open, ears wide open to you from the moment we wake up. Father, I ask that that not even end when we go to sleep, but that even our spirits are given to you to do with as you please. Because you have purchased our lives through your Son. Jesus, I thank you for your immeasurable love for us. It's it's so hard to even wrap our arms around what all that means. But you're faithful to teach us. You're faithful to show us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it look like when Jesus is everything in a person's life? What does that look like? We talk about that all the time. But what's it really look like? You know, the more that... Certainly the more I study the word, but but the more I talk to him, the more I spend time with him, I recognize this vast difference in what we say we believe to what we really believe. Because... And, and, and maybe it's that this is going to become more and more apparent as this time moves on, this readying of the bride moves on and moves forward because you see it more and more where what people say is not what they do. Even when they speak in generalities, I trust God. Boy, what a weighty statement. And, and everybody in this room has said that. Oh, I trust God. I trust him. Think about how weighty a statement that is, because, see, that's an all-encompassing statement. It's not that I, I trust God for my food. I trust God for this, for that, whatever. It's not that. I trust God. That's a blanket statement we've all made. But do we really understand the weight of what that means? What does it mean to really trust God? I can guarantee you one thing. When you make statements in this realm, you're held accountable to those statements by God. (laughs) Because then you are tested to those statements as well. When you say, I trust God... Don't be surprised when that testing comes for you to trust God. 
And, and by the way, don't assume that that's coming because of Satan. I mean, we may have times where we're tested because he has a right, just as he did Job to test us. But literally, the testing of our faith produces the endurance. It produces the character that we're to have to make it through. And not just make it through, by the way. Do you know God doesn't want you just to survive? Right? This woe that we're in, this time that we're in, even the times that are coming that are difficult times, He doesn't just want us to survive. (laughs) Sometimes we're just thankful if we do survive. That's not what He wants. What He wants is for us to draw closer to Him. So what's it look like when Jesus is everything in your life? I'll be honest with you. There are so few people that really understand what that means. And I'm talking about globally. There are so few. Because if you look at the church as a vast majority... What do they really hang on? They hang on principles. They hang on traditions. They hang on things that are good, but things that they can quantify. Right? And, and by the way, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. We, we do have traditions. We do certainly have principles that we live by. Principles in the Word of God that are good. They are for your good. That's not what it means to have Jesus as everything in your life. That's a piece of it. You can't have Jesus be everything in your life without knowing and adhering to principles in the Word of God. You can't. Why? Because that is Him. His character is laid out in His Word. Who He is is laid out in His Word. So those very principles are things He teaches us. But it can't be about those, just about those. Because if it is, you're never going to know the Jesus that I know. You're never going to know the Jesus that Paul knew. See, Lord gave me a vision this week, and I, I, won't, I won't tell you too much about it. Maybe, maybe another day. But he gave me a vision of Paul writing the book of Romans. And it it, it just tore me up. Tore me up. And what tore me up wasn't so much witnessing him writing that. What tore me up was the room that he was in. What tore me up was the simplicity of everything around him that we would see as oppressive. Right? If Jesus is everything to you, then that will manifest in every part of your life. There will become conflict in your heart when fear seeps in. There will become conflict in your heart When anger seeps in, 
doesn't mean these, those, these things don't try to seep in. They do. Good night, they do. Especially when, when they run rampant in the atmosphere like they are now. Because they have a right to. But see, when that conflict comes in your heart of fear, of anger, of whatever it is, that conflict is there for a reason to deal with it because that is not Jesus. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in anger. Fear is not produced, nor is anger, because of principles. You understand? Because living by a, 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 a set of principles that, that are Jesus' principles, that does not produce fear. What produces the fear is not understanding that those principles are to produce life. They're to produce that relationship that we build with him. So what's it look like? When Jesus is everything to a person. Quite simply, it means everything that they do circles around him. Everything. Think about that. Everything. Everything that we do circles around him. Does that, does that mean that, that we, okay, Lord, I, let me come to you and ask you what pair of shoes to wear today. No, I'm not saying that. Now, if he tells you to do that, do that. For me, I try and wear the same pair of shoes every day so I don't have to decide. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you have a best friend in the physical, you have a best friend that is your absolute best friend. Alexis is my absolute best friend in this world. She is my best friend. Drives me nuts when we're apart. Well, it's more because I, I just hate the fact that she doesn't have me with her. <laughs> right. I was doing so well right up to that point. Right. No, but she is my absolute best friend in the world. When something happens that, that the Lord shows me or something happens in my life that, that I experience that I need to share, guess who hears about it first? It's her. And, and, and by the way, it's not even complete in my life until she hears about it. Until I discuss it with her. And we share it together and it, it becomes this thing between the two of us. No matter how simple, no matter how complex. Why? Because she's my friend. She's my best friend. There's nothing I would withhold from her. There is nothing she would withhold from me. I wish only good for her. She wishes only good for me. Do you see the parallels here? See, just because you cannot see Jesus Christ in the physical does not mean it's any different in relationship with Him. It's not. It's the same. Thing is, we make it different. We make it different, especially because we decide in our mind, subconsciously perhaps, we decide, well, here's the category of things that I need help with, Jesus. 
Got my career over here that I really would like to move ahead in. Got my finances, but boy, Lord, yeah, you need to be a part of the finances because I, I, I need you in that. I need you in these things, but these other things, subconsciously, consciously we don't. Subconsciously we make the choice. We don't need to include him. Why? Because well, we don't see him. We don't converse with him like I would my wife. And I can only tell you from experience how it's been in my life the last six, seven years. See what I learned? is that's the exact same relationship Jesus wants with you. He wants to be a part of every part of your life. He wants the conversation back and forth with you. But yet there is this huge hill we have to climb at the beginning of it. And man, if you're there at that hill, I understand it, I get it. Because I went through it. Everybody who builds relationship with Jesus Christ goes through it. Because there is this faith hill that we have to climb up to believe, even first of all, that he would speak with us. And then we have to be okay with deciding that the world's going to hate us over it. Which it will. And it does. But in building that relationship, in walking up that faith hill, in believing that he wants a relationship with me the same and greater than what I have with my best friend here on earth, then he begins to show fruits of that. Yeah, it drives me up the wall. People that are blind to this. And I wish I could give it a super religious label, righteous indignation, whatever. Just flat makes me mad. Makes me mad when people won't even look at that. Makes me mad for them because what I see is a falseness in them. What the Lord sees is a falseness in them. But see, we find ourselves at a unique time in history right now. Oh man, if I could, if I could, if I could ask the bride to recognize one thing, it would be this. Don't assume that you're in the same time that was just ten years ago or your parents' time, or their parents' time. Don't assume that because things have been this way your whole life, that this is how they are and how they will be. How'd that work out for the people in the days of Noah? Not so good. How'd that work out for the nations when Joshua went into the promised land to take over the promised land. Guess what? That had never happened before. How did it look to Israel when Jesus came and gave his life on the cross? 
Don't assume that we're in the same times and we'll always be in the same times. If you believe that, you don't know anything about the Word of God. You don't even understand it in full. Two-thirds of this book is prophetic. Do you understand that? The, the, very, the very working of this book was for the Father to show His plan ahead of time. Why? So you'd believe. Don't assume that you are in a time where your fathers were, where uh, nothing happened. You just kind of got to muddle through life. Be as good a Christian as you can. You know, be saved, of course. Because you want to go up, not down. But do everything else in a category so hopefully there'll be rewards to it. Hopefully it'll be good. We're not in those days anymore, guys. We are in the days where there is separation here and more coming. In the days of Revelation 3 where he said, the lukewarm will be spit out of my mouth. If you don't believe me, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the bride. Look at the world as we know it. Look at the bride. Do you know in the last few months I have seen more forcing of choice than I have my entire life? And I'm 56. Never seen it like I do in the last few months. Where people that normally would not share where they stand on a particular issue are all of a sudden coming out of the woodwork. I mean, does that surprise anybody but me? I mean, it surprises the heck out of me. And it shouldn't because that's exactly what God said would happen. Why? Because James says, by your words, by your words, you are judged. Not by your thoughts. Now, God knows your thoughts. But guess what? The prosecution doesn't. So what is the Lord doing? He is forcing your thoughts to come out of your mouth. And you're going to see it. Saved, unsaved, doesn't matter. Same thing. They're being forced to choose a side. And, and if you think that this, this election coming up is, is about Biden versus Trump, Democrat versus Republican, you're, you're blind. You're seeing it more and more. See, the line is being separated to where this is a choice of good or evil. What will you choose? I'm not talking about the election. I'm talking about what side are you going to be on? If the choices are hot or cold as a Christian, because everybody here, I don't know of anybody here that has not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Everybody here knows him as Savior. But what's the choice going to be? Hot, 
cold, guess what? Lukewarm doesn't, that's not a choice anymore. Where we control part of our life, give him the parts we want some help with, walk as straight a line as we can, hope people look at our lives and, and see that there's some sort of testimony there. See, that doesn't cut it in the times in which we live anymore. And it's not going to. I want to go somewhere. Let me figure out where. Turn to Romans chapter 5. The Lord took me this morning through a bunch of places in Romans. But I want to just beginning begin reading it. This idea of of trusting, of growing in faith, of endurance. I'm just going to start reading chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, okay, in other, in other words, we're, we're, we're not saved because of the law, right? That's what Romans is talking, to, talking about prior to that. We are justified by the faith we have in Jesus Christ. We believe he is the Son of God. He came manifest as a man, gave his life on the cross, paid for our sin, rose from the grave three days later, sitting on the right hand of God. That is what it means to believe those things, to accept those things, to receive him into your heart. That's what it's talking about when it says justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, let, let's, let's read that again, because that's an important phrase to understand. Through him, through Jesus Christ, we also have obtained access by faith. What does that mean? See, if you'd asked me this ten years ago, I would have said, well, access to heaven, when I die, I have access, I get to go to heaven. Okay, wait, that's not what it's talking about here. Access through faith into this grace in which what? We stand. We stand right now. By the grace that He pours on us right now, we live our lives and we stand in this faith that he has given us access to. It doesn't say he poured it all out on us when we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. It said through that process, it gave us access. Access to him. In other words, it was this little card of invitation that said, here, come and be my friend. From Jesus. Says, come and learn how to have a relationship with me. Learn to talk to me. Learn how to hear me talking to you. I'm giving you access, he said. Because you have been justified by your faith in that simple statement of who Jesus is. That little act right there purchased you access to him. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
oh wait, let's, if we had a computer, we could just hit delete. No, it can't, can we? That's a tough one right there. It doesn't just say, not only that, but you're going to suffer. No. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Mm. If it stopped there, I would have to go back and look, is this really God's word? Does he really mean I'm supposed to be happy about this junk that I'm going through? Praise God, it goes on. Because he explains why. Why we're to rejoice in our sufferings. He says, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. How many of you, and I know Ariel is, how many of you ever did long distance running? Four or five? Okay. I'll put my hand up. By the way, there is pretty much nothing in this world I hate more than running. Yeah, so when I played football, and, and I, remember, I remember my freshman year going into college football, um, we had these insane three-a-day workouts and stuff like that. But, um, and I can't remember if it was at the beginning of the, the three weeks of workouts or at the end of it. But we had these testing, you know, where you go through these testings of uh, uh, how much you could bench, how much you can, you know, squat, how much you, how fast you could do the 40 in, how fast you run the mile in. Okay, well, my strengths were not how much I could lift, how much I could bench. I was faster. I, I, I had a decent 40 for somebody my size. I had a 4940. But I thought the way that I can really show something is in my long distance running. Why? Because I have these long legs, right? So, so maybe that's my opportunity. And, and so we started this race. It was a, it was a, a one mile race. And, and, you know, half the guys are linemen and all that. You, you don't even worry about them because, you know, I mean, They'll be doing good if they can make it a mile. But I'm going against receivers and going against the fastest guy on the team lengthwise. And he, he, was, a, he was a tight end, and he was my height, had my build, everything else. And I thought, if I could just keep up with him, I'm going to have to beat him. If I could just keep up with him, then, then okay, maybe I'll grab the coach's attention. And I remember... If you know anything about running mile on a track, it's four times around. And I remember coming around, the almost completing the first lap, thinking, what was I thinking? <laughs> I got three more of these. And, and, and I have already burned a lot more energy than I should have. Now, if you don't know something about me, when I, when I was younger, I had asthma. And, and so the second lap around, that kicked in. By the third lap, okay, and I didn't slow down, I just kept running. Because I thought, I thought, I will die, but I will show the coaches that I can do it. <laughs> By the third time around, I'm wheezing so loud that the coaches are actually running beside me. Are you okay? And I'm, I'm like running, <laughs> you know, like this. 
But I'm trying to stay within about 20 feet of the guy in front of me, and, and the next person behind us was probably half a lap at this point. Get into that fourth lap. I wish I had a relationship with the Lord at that time. Because he could have told me your future is not football, and I could have just quit right then. <laughs> but no, I held on. I thought if I separate my legs from my brain, then maybe I can finish. And so I just kept, yeah, you, you know what I mean, Ariel, right? You, you literally just keep going, you blank it out of your mind, and you keep going. Why? For the sake of finishing. For the sake of ending what you began. Of finishing what you started. And I did, by the way. I did. I, I can't remember my exact time, but my time for the mile was a little over five minutes. It was like 5.05. And what killed me was the guy ahead of me broke right under five. And it didn't really get me anywhere, though. <laughs> it did get me to the hospital, yes. But what did it produce in me? Produced endurance. It produced endurance. It taught me that when things get tough, that doesn't mean it's the end. That doesn't mean it's supposed to be the stopping point. Not if your goal was already set. And everybody in life faces this. Whether they're an athlete, whether they're in business, you know, being a business person. When you start a process, you start with a goal. You have a goal to accomplish that first year, first three years, five years, whatever it is. If you hit the hardships and decide, oh, well, maybe the Lord has something else for me, you'll never reach that goal. Now, make sure that the goal in the beginning was his goal to begin with. But then recognize that in everything that you will do, you will always hit resistance. You will always hit difficulty. And by the way, sometimes that resistance, that difficulty comes from within. Oh my goodness, my worst enemy on that fourth lap was me. My worst enemy was my brain saying, you don't really like football. <laughs> and you're literally having this argument in your head shut up you know like the like the two little things on your on your shoulder shut up i'm not listening to you. yes you are <laughs> right we become our own worst enemy in times like that why because endurance has a cost it has a cost to it Faith is what produces that in that the faith through suffering, going back to verse 3, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. The suffering of this faith produces endurance. Then what does endurance produce? Character. Endurance makes you who you are. Endurance in everything that you go through makes you who you are. It literally produces the character. 
And then right after that it says, and character produces hope. <laughs> I remember going on that last lap and, and, and rounding about halfway through that last lap thinking, okay, I can do this. I mean, I, I could, if I have to, I can hold my breath for half a lap. Right? I could do this. I, I saw the, the light at the end of the tunnel, and I was sure by this point it wasn't a train. Right? I saw the end. I saw it coming. I'm, I'm, I'm so close. See, that produced the hope in me that I'll be able to stop. That I'll be able to sit down. That I'll be able to breathe. Right In your walk with the Lord, when you build a relationship with Him and things come into your life that tell you, no, that's not true, or this is not what God told you was going to happen, are you still going to believe? When you step in that belief, it builds that character, builds that endurance that produces character. And from that character, it produces hope. See, I see what's coming. Has it come yet? No. But the Lord has built in me the endurance that produced the character that laid the bed for that hope. My hope is in what He has said He is doing. My hope is what He says in His Word that is applicable to me right now, not a hundred years in the future. Not to those 2,000 years ago who stood at Jesus' side. But me, right now, right here. It produced the hope. When you have built endurance to produce that hope, guess what? It will not be rocked by the world. It will not be. Doesn't mean it won't try to be. I can't believe this last week how many, and I know, I know each of you will think that I'm talking about our conversation, but I'm telling you ahead of time it was several that talked to me about a long-time relationship that was completely cut off. Simply because of what you believe. Simply because of what you stand for. Or ignition stands for. Guys, when the lines are being drawn, it doesn't say it doesn't come without pain. But recognize it for what it is. Recognize it for... The, the literal complacency at which it comes from. You know, when somebody who is a Christian says, I cannot blank, 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 I will not talk to you, I will not have anything to do with you because of your stand. Well, one of two things is happening. One, either they really don't know your stand, Right, And I could speak personally for that. They, they really don't know what I've said because they've just maybe talked to a whole bunch of other people. 
or they're really being influenced by something else. See, it it just amazes me. I I would love to sit down with those people, and and one of them happened in in this one. I am speaking about a specific person, but this is somebody who this person and I who share this friend... can't go into it too much, but but we share this this friend was a very 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 close friend of mine. There was at a point in my life where this was my best friend, best friend. We talked about growing old together. I'm supposed to talk about that with my wife, except she she's not willing to grow old. <laughs> she said she said you got to do that on your own. I'm sorry. Right, but but then. <laughs> But this person, he and I, he and I talked about growing old together, and now, now he, he won't even talk to me. But yet, he stands for Jesus' love. If he really loved me, he would have called me. If he really thought that we were steeped in this darkness, then he would open his eyes to investigate for my sake. Does that, I know people here that are going through that. I know people here that go through that in their families. People that have literally had their families turn on them. And, and it, it just amazes me because I think, wait a second. I've been a Christian since I was nine years old. And, and what's being produced in my life right now is exactly what we've always said a Christian produces. Where, where am I missing this? all part of the endurance. It's all part of the endurance. How do you think the disciples felt? Literally the beginning of the church. That was beginning the unraveling of the mystery that we see in plainer view now, which is the church. To begin something is tough. It's tough. There's an extra cost. Well, guess what? We're at the beginning stages of something else in history. This idea of the readying of the bride, this idea of the literal opening the scrolls of this mystery for the world to see. It has the cost of endurance because that endurance must produce character that produces hope. And and verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, nobody, nobody knows my relationship with the Lord like I do. Nobody knows your relationship with the Lord like you do. We could see fruit of it. You know, Paul said they'll be known by their fruit. And, and by the way, that's important. Evaluate yourself. What is the fruit in your life? Is the fruit held within? 
Or, or perhaps is the fruit some label that you wear on your shirt that says, I, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian. Or is it real love? Is it real hope? Is it real endurance? I want to read something that he rocked me with. And, and I, I'm going to read it out of a different version. I'm going to read it out of the New Living. Romans 12, 1. We're going to begin at 1. I'm just going to read this again out of the New Living. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, Give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Okay, before, before I read the last part, I want to point something out. This is one of the biggest misunderstandings in Christianity today. Assuming that when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, assuming that it is that very act that changes who you are, it doesn't. It gives you the pathway. It gives you the starting point to change who you are. To change by giving Him everything of who you are. See, that one requires time. That's what we talk about when we say building relationship. That's the one that is tested. And in those testings, in those sufferings, endurances built, that then produces the character, that then produces the hope. See, it's in the act of relationship, building relationship with Him, that you learn how to offer your body as a living sacrifice. It is not something automatic. It is by choice. You are saved by grace, a hundred percent grace. You are justified. You are not sanctified by grace. It's by grace that He works with us in that relationship, but He does not force it upon us. It's our choice. So to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, it is literally what is produced from building relationship with Him. And He said, but let God transform you. Let Him transform you into a new person. See, up top it said... So, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to people who knew Jesus Christ as Savior. If you understand the book of Romans, Romans was written to those who knew Jesus as Savior. These were people who already received him into their heart. 
in verse 2, he said, second part of verse 2, let God, talking to a saved person, let God transform you. Let Him transform you. He didn't say, you know what, accept Jesus Christ as Savior so you'll be transformed. These people were already saved. They already knew God as Savior. Read the beginning of Romans. He's saying, as a saved person, let God transform you by changing the way you think. Oh man, what a tough scenario. I'm sorry, but human beings, I, I, I would say American, but really it's just globally. Human beings are the most stubborn people. Well, that's kind of reiterating the same thing, right? They're just stubborn. They get locked in their way of, of a way that they get it to work good enough. If I could get this to work good enough in my life, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I could take that, put it into this category of don't have to worry about it. So then I could put my focus on other things. Like maybe just getting through my day. Like maybe making myself feel to the point good enough to where I can just go on. He's saying, let God transform you by the way you think. He didn't say, you know what, let's start a workout program. We're going we're gonna to change your body. We're going to, I mean, not that, I mean, we, we probably need that too. But he's saying your mind needs to be transformed. Your paradigms need to be transformed. They need to change. The base, you know what a paradigm is? It's the base way that we think about a specific thing. Our paradigm is the foundation of what we think of that, that particular thing. He wants to go through and change those paradigms. Why? He can't just change some of the simple things up top because it doesn't change. Because when we're wrong in our paradigm, everything that's built upon that paradigm is wrong. If you don't believe Jesus Christ can speak to you on this earth, bring his kingdom to this earth, then you're working off a different paradigm. No matter what you try and get out of the word of God, guess what? You're not going to get it correctly. Because the very communication that he gives through the Holy Spirit is being rejected by you in your own paradigm. And I know, I know in so many ways I'm speaking to the choir here. He wants to change our paradigms. Why? So we could give him our sacrifice. So we could give him our everything. Our life, that, that's what... That's what becomes such a joke to me with, with people that are Christians that, that have been Christians for 30, 40, whatever years, and they say, I can't have anything to do with you anymore. I'm thinking, wow. Will, will you even just look at my life? 
If you don't want to look at my life, let's sit down and let's look at yours. Because their paradigms are messed up. That's where it's got to go back to. The fundamental way that they understand who God is. It ends with this. The second part of verse 2. After he said, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That next word. Then. After he does that. After he changes and transforms you by the way you think. He said, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I can't tell you how many people come to me and have come to me over the years say, saying they want to know God's will for their lives. I've said it. I've said it a thousand times. Everybody in this room has probably said it a thousand times. Many have come to me. How do I know God's will for my life? He just told us. You will know God's will for your life when, when, remember, notice, after you have allowed him to transform your mind. Transform the very paradigms in which you walk through life in. And, and trust him, by the way. Trust him. He's not going to lead you astray. If you start to believe something that's a little off, guess what? He's going to show you. That's what relationship is. His love for you won't allow a heart that wants him to go wayward. That's why he said, if you want the real proof of everything, look at a person's life. Paul said, I think to King Agrippa, he said, he said, I wish that you were like me except for these chains. When King Agrippa said, are, are you, are you trying to make me believe in this Jesus? Are you trying to make me like you? Paul said, I wish you were like me in every way except for these chains. See, we all want to know God's will for our life. But so often we're too lazy to let him transform us in a way that we can see it clearly. Don't be that way. You've got to give him everything. It begins with known sin. That, by the way, that's a given, guys. If there's known sin in your life, man, you're not even at the starting gate yet. If there is known sin in your life, don't expect that he is going to commune with you with known sin. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be forgiven for that because there, there are so many cases where, where there is sin that we fall to and we repent of. And by the way, we are absolutely forgiven the moment we ask forgiveness. 
I'm talking about those sins that are categorized in the do not touch file. You know, this is just a sin that this is, this is one of my comforts. You know, I'll give you a big one that goes around a lot. Control. No, there are just certain things that I need to control in my life, in others' lives, so that way it's controlled around me. And, and God, certainly, I'm doing it all in good. These are all good things. These are all good things for people to, to do well in their lives. Uh, but, but, Lord, so don't mess with this control over here. Let me give you the rest. And that's awesome. He'll, he'll work with what you give him. But don't expect it to open up. Don't expect it to open up in relationship because guess what? It'll always go back to that one that you won't give. That one that you hold on to. And some of the, some of the things are, are obvious. Some of the things aren't. That's why David said, he said, show me anything, any way in which I have built this wall up between you and I. Show it to me and I'll, I'll give it to you. As we build relationship with him, he does show us those things. And when he does show us those things, that's when they become a choice to give it to him or not. I want to, one last verse here. Romans 1, verse 16. I'm back in the ESV. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, it's it's easy to read that verse, those two verses, and just pull out of that that, okay, well, to be righteous, I must live by faith, and that's true. But don't miss something that's buried in here. It says, for in it the righteousness of God, okay, that we are to pursue the righteousness of God, the way we walk rightly before him. He gives us his righteousness. That righteousness is revealed from faith. If I could ask you to do anything in your lives today, it would be evaluate your level of faith. Where are you trusting him in things? It it just said that his righteousness is only revealed through that process of faith. If, If you want everything to be black and white in your life, you will never underscore, highlight, all caps, you will never know his righteousness. You can't. Unless unless it makes Paul a liar here. Because he said the only way you can know his righteousness is through faith. Through making a choice to believe in something you don't see because of evidence that you can feel, but you cannot see. 
Right? It's through that faith that his righteousness is revealed. And it also says, and for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Evaluate your faith today. Evaluate what you're giving the Lord in faith. That's going to tell you where your relationship is with him. And that's something that only you could do within yourself. There may be signs of it on the outside, but you're the only one that can know that within you. Where you have stepped in faith, where you have given him by faith the opportunity to grow you in relationship with him. Lex, come on up. Obviously, what, what he's saying is ask the Lord to evaluate it because sometimes our evaluation is um, a bit skewed by our comfort zones and our desire to um, stay in a place where we're not so stretched. And he mentioned earlier about our relationship and our friendship. And whether it be a friend or a family member or somebody that you know, if you're blessed enough to have somebody in your life that you're close to, um, and especially if it's somebody that's known you most of your life, it can be a really wise thing to ask that person where you may be falling short. That's a hard thing to do. I've noticed in our marriage, um, as the Lord has has been given greater place in our lives, I've been able to receive more from him, and he's been able to receive more from me in that honesty. Um, we all know there are certain things we wouldn't ask that person because we're just not ready to hear what they would say. Well, they just think this, or well, they just think that. And that, that can be true. Sometimes the person we would be asking may be skewed. But what I'm hearing through this whole message today is one of the most difficult words that we face, and that is the word surrender. It is a submission to God's ways and God's plans above our own. And I know... Um, Every, every day when I wake up in the morning, I ask the Lord, get my head straight, get my thoughts straight. Because your starting point, as he spoke of, you know, it determines your outcome. If you start your day from a place of pain, and I'm talking emotional, mental pain, you, it, it can, that lens can alter your day in ways that really get you off course. And then the outcome of your day can be very, very not what God would have. If we don't start our day in worshiping and acknowledging him in giving him our thoughts and surrendering everything to him, Lord, help me in every decision, the macro decisions, the micro decisions, all of our thoughts, all of our reactions. Do you know that one wrong reaction because you have an angst you haven't given to the Lord can set off a, a domino effect of offense and conflict and strife either within your home or with other people 
that you never that can escalate so far out of control. We can certainly tell you stories all day long in a marriage how that can happen. One wrong word can open up a what we you know often say is the words Pandora's box of of hurt and unresolved this and differences and everything, and it can be really really dangerous. And so I always say to the Lord. Get my head right. I want your thoughts. I want the mind of Christ. I want everything that I say, every reaction that I have. I want that to be in Christ. And one other quick thing that I'll mention um, that the Lord just laid on my heart. We're seeing this now, but it's growing, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And that is the infringement upon our freedoms in this nation. There is a loss of freedoms. In ways that are so illogical, even and they don't make even sense. There's such um, it's just rampant, and of course we're in a time of chaos and turmoil, so it's gonna it, we see that. But more than ever, this choice of hot or cold has to be reflected in our confidence in the Lord and in His voice, because um, I heard about and I don't know all the details of it totally, but I heard about a conference call. That a group of faith leaders were on, pertaining to um, the opening of churches, reopening restrictions, so forth, and they invited on one of the doctors from um, the the federal task force because there are different doctors on different local levels involved in this regarding um, the whole COVID and all that stuff. And it was interesting to me the direction of what was spoken of that the call took. And the thing that I, I almost lost the content of it as much as what kept replaying in my mind is faith leaders, faith leaders, faith leaders, a leader in faith. Okay, just think about that for a moment. That is a when you are a when you have your faith. You know, we throw that word around so much, and yet there is nothing about a faith existence that will. Ever make sense to the world, and so oftentimes we think um, that common sense is something that's really important. But if sense is really common, it's likely not a sense of faith, because narrow is the road. You know, there are people that are um, not willing to pay the price to really think like to really empty themselves out of everything of our flesh and think like. The Lord, and in this call, it, it went in a crazy direction, and um, some of them were split. They were some were agreeing, but but one of the federal doctors um, that on the task force uh, was saying that um, definitely no singing. And you guys have heard the things, you know, not no singing, big distances, you know, try to have. We really and and the conclusion of the doctor was, well, really, if if I'm being honest, bottom line is you really shouldn't be meeting at all anytime soon, and so. Moving forward as a believer, as a faith-filled believer, as a person of faith, whatever term you want to use, we have got to know how to take the common sense of what we deem responses that are appropriate, or well, you know, you just need to use common sense. I mean, you need to comply here and you need to comply there. I got to tell you, there is nothing that I am. Doing in my operation of some of these freedoms that I have not taken to the Lord. Sometimes the Lord's instruction will be to comply with a human law. But 
Do you still take it to the Lord before that? Or do you immediately think, well, what are my restrictions around me? I have to comply. And then, Lord, please help me in that. Lay everything out before the Lord first. Because it will get, he's going to, he's allowing a squeeze to get so severe that we're going to need to hear his voice above man's voice. And that is a, that's a new experience for Americans. We're just not used to that. We're, we apply a lot of common sense. There's a lot of other voices, demonic voices, that are t- poking and prodding and saying, yeah, but that's not love. Yeah, but that's not Christian. Yeah, but you can do this. Yeah, but you can still do this. And we've got to have the purity of the Lord's voice in order to know how to respond properly. And um, that all goes back to the renewing and transforming of our minds. If, if you... If the first and, and most heartfelt desire of your heart is not to have the mind of Christ, then you're going to just be off base. There will always be something you'll run into, especially when the laws don't even make sense. When there is hypocrisy, and I mentioned that downstairs to the ladies' class, um, uh, a recent case of somebody who lawfully did something, and he, he's a lawyer, lawfully did something. The law was, was as clear as, as could be in his state. And yet the police came in and he was charged for something that was against the law, which isn't against the law. But they did it anyway, and they had the full support of that local mayor. You know, those are times when it's so confusing. And yes, you, it doesn't mean you don't, you know, you don't fight these things in, in the sense of, of the Constitution. But you've got to, it all has to be led of the Holy Spirit. It has to be led of the Lord. Because when chaos ensues and the world is... When turmoil is there, we've got to know what is God saying for us to do. A leader that doesn't live and walk by faith, which is not going to be of this world, should never have the title faith leader. Because the ways of faith are not the ways of man. And God always uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And um, that goes in what he accomplishes in church sizes in terms of a big mission. I mean... God's ways are just absolutely the opposite of man's ways. And that is where he wants us to exist. That is why he gave us Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom. But what did Jesus say? And I'll end with this. When Jesus came into the world and entered his public ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm here to offer you relationship. You're never going to get there until you surrender. Repent of your sin and then surrender to my ways. And that's really the question. And um, God's grace is there. He, he made such a, a, an important statement that, no, we're not, we're not sanctified by faith or by, by grace, but we do get to experience his grace every single day. That means he invites us into a process of every day laying down, laying down, laying down our ways and letting his ways fill. Not just less of me, more of him, but none of me, all of him. That's what we want. That's what we want. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this this so, so powerful and important word that you have uh, given us to just ponder. And God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you go before us in, in this promise prophetically that every one of us has been given that we can live a victorious life as more than a conqueror. And then you even give individual prophetic promises of of what you want us to do in this life. 
And you then invite us into this process of agreement, of laying down everything that does not agree with that process, which is your perfect will, so that we can grow and meet and have the outcome of our promise. God, I just thank you that you're with us. You, you, you go before us and, and pave the way if we just do things your way. Being renewed in our minds, in the spirit of our minds, by that transformation through your Holy Spirit. I just thank you. I thank you, God, that we don't have to do it alone. I thank you that striving is not only the death of us and the most wearisome thing we can do, but it's not even of you, God. Because you will hold us and even at times carry us when things get so difficult, God, as you promise all through Psalm 91 that I love. God, I just pray that you would just um, help us to seek your face. Help us to not fear letting the spotlight of your Holy Spirit shine in a part of our life that's been so pressed down and hidden Maybe a hurt so deep, maybe a, a fear of some, some, maybe from some trauma, something we're not even aware of. God, I pray that you would go deep within us and let us purge that and give it to you, God. That, that's just the beginning of transformation. The more we hold on to, the more we limit your transforming power. So I just pray that you'd help us to just give over. You showed me something even yesterday of a reaction that I had that I didn't even recognize it was fear-based. And you showed me how clearly it was. And, oh, God, your forgiveness was so immediate. It was so immediate. It was like you just delighted that I recognized it, confessed it. And then coming unto you, there was the exchange of you will give me rest for my soul. And I had it immediately. I thank you for that, God. You are so loving, so good, so compassionate. You will never give us more than what you equip us to bear. And I praise you for that. So God, a laid down life through that lens is not, is not as difficult as we think. It's just the flesh, the flesh that's so hard. So give us strength, Lord. Encourage and comfort those who are right at that point of wanting to crucify a part of their flesh, but are really struggling, God. Give them encouragement. Let them know that, oh, the great reward, even just the reward of letting you fill more of them than before, is so awesome. Thank you, God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.